Actually, a couple of years ago, this uh, billboard showed up in Michigan, and it's one of those white, I mean, excuse me, black backgrounds with white letters and some alleged saying that God made. And on this particular one, it said, I miss hearing you say Merry Christmas. Not to be outdone by that, same year uh, on a billboard as you entered into the Lincoln Tunnel from New Jersey, the uh, American Atheist Society took out this ad. On that billboard, it showed three men with crowns on their heads riding camels. In the background was a manger that it was obvious was their destination. A woman kneeling beside that straw-filled manger with people kneeling all around, all silhouettes. And then across the bottom of the billboard, it said this, You know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. Welcome to the Christmas Wars. These are the wars that we as Christians seem to have been willing to fight rather than take a studied approach, in my opinion. Uh, I want to do today something that is in the spirit of Paul Revere and Walter Cronkite. You know who Paul Revere was? What did he say? He rode on a horse. We're all going to die. That's what he said. Well, he said the British are coming, but he meant we're all going to die. Walter Cronkite, on the other hand, was a newscast guy. News specifically was his deal. And uh, years ago, when, you know, with three basic TV channels, uh, he was one of the guys on evening news that all of America seemed to listen to. And from time to time, he would come on TV during the middle of the day, and it would be one of these things, we interrupt this program to bring you this news bulletin. Uh, in the spirit of both of those guys today, what I want to say is for us as Christian people in this neck of the woods, we need to interrupt the Christmas wars. Let's talk about that this morning. Two different passages. Take your Bibles and go with me to Luke chapter 2 and also Matthew chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll get you up to speed. We have been for the last three weeks. Today's the fourth and the final week of our Christmas series where I have tried to help us take a fresh look at the Christmas story and with specific emphasis on different people that are represented there and step back from the familiarity of that story long enough for us to see some of the lessons that we have represented in the people. And so today we come to the last of those messages, and we're going to look at three people. Actually, all of these are groups. Uh, We're going to look at the angels that are tied to this, or at least a couple of different references there, or one reference there. We're going to look at the shepherds, and we're going to look at the wise men. And while I'm at it, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the end of the sermon. That way, if you, you know, feel like you just can't wait to get to the mall, then you need to leave. Well, you'll have the end of the sermon, okay? Here's the whole point. We've got to get people to see. I don't want us to fall into the trap that says we need to argue a case. I think that's modern Christianity in these Christmas wars. I think what we need to do is get people to see. So let's look at this together. First of all, as we come into it, I'm going to ask and hopefully help you find some answers on three basic questions. Here's the first one. What do you know? And when it comes to the Christmas story, I rather suspect that if I passed out a quiz this morning, 
and uh, multiple choice or true, false, whatever it is, probably 90% of us would at least get a passing grade if not just ace the test when it comes to knowing facts about the Christmas story. I want to start with facts, and these may be things you already know, but let's kind of play along with me for a little bit to see if you can get on board this train. All right, Luke chapter 2, let's look at the angels first. What did the angels know? Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we find these words. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and I'm going to stop reading there, and we'll get back to that part in just a moment. What did the angel, now first we're dealing with the one, what did the angel know? Well, that's pretty easy for us to get to that. You can just look at it there. Essentially, this is what he knew. God was stepping in to the reality of the world at that moment in a fresh way. From the very beginning of the human condition, at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made the faithful choice that introduced sin into the human condition. God had been about moving history directly towards this moment. And the angel now is the one who comes to announce that. And that's what he announces. God's at work. And this is what you'll find. And so he gives those shepherds some very specific information that will help them know what they're at. That's what we find, or where they're at. That's what we find with the angels and what they knew. Let's look now at what the shepherds knew. So we pick up again in verse 13. And it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. Now here's, see, what I want to say is the shepherds said to one another, I ain't never seen nothing like that before. Uh, That's not what they said, apparently. What they said was, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What did they know? They knew that angels showed up, or they knew that there was a birth. They knew what to look for, and they knew where to look for him. And then once they got there, they knew what they saw. That's what they knew. What about the Magi? Now, these are the guys we call the wise men. I'll get back to that in just a little bit. Uh, The Bible even calls them wise men. And so let's look. Matthew chapter 2. What did these guys know? Matthew chapter 2 says in in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now before we read any more, what did they know? They knew that they saw something that was different. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it. Verses 9, 10, and 11, we pick up reading. This is after the Herod thing, and it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star 
they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I'm going to stop reading there. Now, what did they see or what did they know? They knew what they saw. They saw something different in the stars. They saw a star that didn't seem to belong. And so they went to Jerusalem, and from there they got more information, and they went and they found the baby. What did they know? Now, I know that probably some of you sitting there going, you know, preacher, I didn't come all the way to church today just for you to rehearse the details of the Christmas story. I get that, but I want you to hang with me for a minute or two here. Let's go back to Luke for a second. We're going to actually going to camp out here. We're sticking with just the facts so far. We know the facts of the Christmas story. Or do we? Maybe I should ask you, what do you know about Christmas? Well, let's go to the worship wars, the Christmas war stuff that I'm talking about. One of the things that I see, uh, and it's been kind of consistent now for a number of years... I see all over the state of Texas, people, Christian people, arguing the case, Jesus is the reason, finish it for me, for the season. We all know that. That means it's pretty well spread. Now, is that a true statement or not? You see, you don't know. Or you're afraid that I'm tracking you or something. Yes, it's a true statement. Would we be doing all of this? If it wasn't for the birth of Jesus Christ, the answer is no. We know, we know this. <laughs> Great answer. Brilliant child. We know the facts. But one of the things that I'm concerned about, and listen really carefully with me now. I had a discussion with somebody recently. This actually is a person who is a pastor at another church in another place. You wouldn't know him. But in this conversation I had with him, he was going to do a Bible study on part of the Christmas story. And so he started laying it out for me, and he said, here's what I planned on doing. And I said, how'd it go? He said, I didn't get there. I said, what do you mean you didn't get there? He said, I started looking into this, and I realized that the main part of the Christmas story that I was going to lean on in my Bible study is not anywhere found in the Bible. It's totally tradition. That's why I ask you, what do you know about Christmas? I'm afraid that we may have fallen victim to what I call Christmas carol theology. You know what that is? That's where we sing the songs so much that we just kind of buy into them uh, like that's actually what it is. Let me give you an example of that. Away in a manger. How does that go? Away in a manger. I don't remember. No crib for a bed. You know what a manger is? When Teresa and I went to Israel a couple of years ago, we went out to the ruins uh, of Megiddo. Most of us know Megiddo and Armageddon, and you know, so now everybody woke up with that. At the ruins of Megiddo, as we were walking into the ruins, it's a huge deal because it was an outpost for Solomon and a lot of his chariots and so as we were walking back there, all by the way, hear that as an outpost for his chariots. As we were walking back to the place where they believe the stables were for these horses that pulled the chariots, 
our guide stopped us. And he said, I want you to look at this. And he pointed down to this stone thing that was at about knee high, maybe, uh, about the size of a crib, I guess. And uh, he said, anybody know what that is? And I said to myself, that's a rock. I was right. That was a rock that somebody chiseled on. And what it was, was a manger. It wasn't any piece of wood, you know, cross sticks and all that kind of stuff. That was a manger. It's a water trough for a horse. When I see that shot some things for me. I mean, as a matter of fact, that shot every Christmas cantata I had ever seen where they had the baby Jesus in it. Because he's always in some wooden kind of thing, like whatever. What do you know about Christmas? Now, by the way, I'm not trying to get you really to doubt what you know as much as I'm just trying to get us thinking on the same place here. We, we need to get the facts. And the only way you're going to get those facts is spend some time in Scripture, okay? So if you're not doing anything else this week, spend a little time studying the Christmas story. First question, what do you know? And what we tend to know and hold on to are what I call fundamental elements to the story. The angels knew that God was at work. He was busy that night. The shepherds knew that they had seen angels, that they had heard angels. That's enough to get some people thrown into certain kind of hospitals in America today. They knew what they saw, the wise guys, the magi. They knew that something was different in the sky. They knew that they needed to check it out, and they knew what they saw. What do you know? That's the first question. The second question is, how do you know it? Whatever it is that you settle on that you really do know, the question that I have for you is, how do you know it? So let's start with the Magi. How did they know that stuff? Maybe we should uh, dig a little bit on who they were. And I know probably we've heard this in Sunday school lessons forever, so I'm going to kind of give you the Reader's Digest version. These guys were not Jews, first of all. Secondly, they were from the East, and uh, probably modern-day Iran, maybe modern-day Iraq, And these guys were kind of a combination between scientists and, well, uh, what's a good, well, see, in deep south Texas where I came from, there's a term for people like they were. They're called curanderas. You know what a curandera is? It's somebody who makes their money telling your future. Now, if you're smart, you're sitting there going, (laughs) right. But see, they do that with tarot cards or those kind of things, okay? Now, in our terminology today, we might call these guys astrologers. You know the difference between astronomy and astrologers? Astronomy is a science of studying the stars. Those guys were that, okay? That was part of what they did. But they were also more or less like astrologers because they would see the stars and they could track all that kind of stuff. Uh, But then they would make leaps as to, well, because this is what the stars are saying today, then this is what that means in your life tomorrow. Okay? Now, what I call them, well, never mind what I call them. All right? So that's who these guys were. So the question is, we know what they saw. The question is, how did they know it? How did they know that something was up in Bethlehem? Well, they went to Jerusalem because they didn't have full revelation at that point. We know they weren't Jews. Probably, almost certainly, they were polytheistic. They believed in multiple gods rather than just one. So in all of that, what we find with these guys is they know something. They're critical players as far as we're concerned 
in the Christmas story, but the way they knew it was tied to their own experience. And I want you to hang on to the word experience. They knew the stars. They knew the night sky. And they knew that something was up when this star showed up and it didn't belong there. It didn't fit their charts. It didn't fit their prognostications. It just didn't fit. So something's up with that. And so that part of them deep within that wanted to know, that needed to know, began to act on that curiosity. How did they know? They knew from their own experience. So let's look at the angels. This is not a trick question. It's going to sound like it, but it's not. How did the angels know to make the announcement that they made? Well, that's a good question. Simple answer, I think. They're God's messengers. What does an angel know? And the answer is, whatever God wants them to know. Okay? They're God's messengers. They're the ones who come to give the good news. You know the good news that we call gospel in the New Testament? The Greek word is euangelion. It's, it's the name that part of it we get the word angel from. It is the announcer, the messenger. Messengers only share messages that they are given. How did the angels know what they knew? Their experience with God. Their time with God. God's assignments to them. Let's go to the shepherds. How did they know what they knew? It's an easy question. They told them. That's right. They were there. We read what they knew. We read how they knew it. So, again, it may seem like it's kind of a ridiculous question, but when we come to the application part, I don't think it's that ridiculous, really. What we find in Scripture, these players in the Christian story, Christmas story, these players that we're looking at today, they knew some stuff. And the reason they knew it is because they had an experience with God. Now, those Persian magi, they probably would not have said necessarily that it was an experience from God, although they might have. We're going to get to what they did when we get there in just a minute, so that's not a completed statement yet. So let's put this back on us. I asked you earlier what you know about the Christmas story, and now I want to ask you, how do you know you know? The easy default answer, I think, is that we know it because we've read it. Or maybe we know it because we had a teacher somewhere or a preacher somewhere who told us what we needed to know about it. But you see, I think that's right there begins to move us towards the answer to why we seem to be losing the Christmas war. I think maybe for too long, Christians in America have argued from a theoretical base rather than an experiential base. Let me see if I can break that down for you. I think for too long, we've said, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's the thing that we hold up there without bothering to get any deeper than that with the people on the other side of the war. And so people like the atheist group that I just talked about that had that billboard, or people like the ones that you work with, or people like the ones in the community who have nothing to do with God, maybe not even believe in God, 
we stand up and the whole basis of our argument is, you're not accepting what I'm telling you. Are we really giving them much to work with? Now, this is more complex than I can get into in the short amount of time that I have here today. But I want you to really kind of back off just a moment and think about what I'm saying here. Essentially, if we're not careful, we're moving towards a Christmas war where we fight an issue rather than deal with people. These angels went to a group of shepherds. Now, we should be reminded that for the most part in first century Israel, people didn't aspire to be shepherds. It wasn't necessarily one of those things that everybody just wanted to do. It's not that they were like, you know, second-class citizens, but, uh, you know, they just, it was, they, they, they smelled bad. I mean, you know, they, they live with sheep. What do you expect from a shepherd, right? My granddaughter was here this weekend. I just thought I should give you a grand, granddaughter watch again this day. It's been a week since you got the last one. Uh, I was watching her yesterday. They were at the house, and... Uh, I was watching as we all dealt with her. Her name's Mackenzie, by the way. And so as she would be there, by the way, you notice how babies just kind of take up space? It's, it's almost like they just, they're just taking up space. And she was taking up space. Now, she's, she makes it pretty where she takes it up. I get that. But she was just taking up space. And so many of the adults, that is everybody except one of them, uh, that's my dad. He doesn't do babies. Um, but most of the adults at some point would gravitate over to where she was and pick her up and take her and hold her and make over her and all of that kind of stuff. But finally, by the end of the day, uh, Mackenzie got an opportunity to just lay in the floor on one of the Christmas presents that she got or something like that. I don't know, some towel or something. Uh, she was laying there. And so I was watching her just laying there, just taking up space. And I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. And those shepherds. See, one of my favorite verses in the whole Christmas story is the one that's here in Matthew, and I think it's Matthew. It's one that says, And Mary watched all the stuff and pondered them in her heart. So I was watching my granddaughter lay there on the floor, taking up space, and I was thinking about these shepherds coming in to baby Jesus. These guys have been living out in the field, okay? Now, ladies, you know how that is. Your husband goes off to hunt and camp and he comes back after two or three days. These guys live out there with sheep. And they come in and they see this baby Jesus and it probably immediately smelled bad in there. And it says that Mary stood back and she just took it all in. She considered, I'm sure, the words of the angel to her. This baby is no ordinary baby. And as she's dealing with those shepherds, She's dealing with her own husband. And before it's all said and done, the people of the area who find out, you know, a new baby gets born, people rally to the cause for some reason. Just imagine the scene there. That's part of the Christmas story that we don't argue much for most of the time. The human touch. The part of it that is more than let's let's have an argument about whether Jesus is the reason for the season or not. Let's just talk about, well, let's go to the next point here because that's what I really want to get to today. 
It fits it all together for me. First question is, what do you know? Second question is, how do you know it? The third question is, what are you going to do with what you know? Because here's my basic premise today. If you know anything about Jesus Christ enough to trust him with your entire life and eternity, somewhere you've experienced the love of God. By the way, if you happen to be in here today and all of this Christmas stuff is relatively new for you, maybe. Maybe you, never, maybe you don't know the Christmas story. Here it is in, in a nutshell. God loved us so much that he was not content to leave us outside of a relationship with him. That's what sin does. It breaks the relationship between us and God. And Adam and Eve triggered that in the Garden of Eden. That is part of who we are as people from that point forward. And we're born with a sin nature that separates us from a holy God. And he loved us enough to not let us stay there. We live in sin, just that not that we necessarily have to do bad stuff to be there. It's just part of who we are. And life doesn't make sense without God. And he loved us enough that he sent his son to die on a cross so that we can have life. That's Christmas. I don't want to argue about whether or not we ought to be able to say Merry Christmas or have those kind of things in public squares. I don't want to argue about that. What I want to know is I want people to know, hey, God loves you. That's what Christmas is about. So what do you do with what you know? It's an experience with God. It's not just this theoretical stuff up here that we pull down every November and dust it off and for six weeks we have an argument with the world about it. It's a real person, Jesus is. And so it's it's an experience that drives this whole discussion for us. So what do you do with what you know? Let's look. All three groups did the exact same thing. In Luke chapter 2, verse 13, the angels, it says... And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What did they do? They worshipped. You know why? Because that's what you do when you encounter God. When you come to see what God is about and what he's doing with us, it drives us to worship. So let's look at the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 and verse 20. And the shepherds returned... Well, let me even back it up to verse 18, uh, excuse me, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told about them concerning this child. They're telling people. We'll come back to that. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What did they do with what they knew? Because of their experience, they have a worship service. The Magi, by the way, you can go look in, I'm not going to take the time right now, Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 2, you'll find that the Magi worship as well. They bring gifts fit for a king and they worship. The reason that happens is because the natural response when you encounter the living God is to worship. The very first Christmas was marked by worship. It's more than just a baby in a manger. It's God become flesh, 
because he loves us enough to make a way. If you've experienced that, you should worship because of that. Let me tell you, I always want to make sure that we're real practical in what we say and do at this hour. Let me see where this, show you where this comes out for me. I was out in the marketplace on Friday. I waited until Friday morning to start all of my Christmas shopping. And I got it all done by 4.30 or so. Now, what that means is I was surrounded by nut jobs all day long. Now, I love them, okay? In Christian love, they're nut jobs, okay? I I went, some of you saw, I went to Toys R Us. By the way, they should call it Idiots R Us, all right? I went to Toys R Us and walked up to, to check out. And somebody in a nice, sweet, Christian Loving voice, this woman said, you're at the wrong part of the line. You're supposed to be way over there. Okay, settle down. It's all good. Okay. So I went back. 50 people in line in front of me. I counted them. 50. Now, how do you keep your sanity in times like that? See, I I told you last year that illustration about, you know, lady got on the elevator and she's doing Christmas shopping. Her kids are, you know, kind of a day like that, and they're losing it. She gets on the elevator, and her kids are crying, and she just says, I wish they'd string up whoever started this whole Christmas thing. And somebody in the elevator said they already did. They nailed him to a cross. In the hustle and the bustle of this war that we call Christmas, how do you keep your spiritual shoes on your feet? That is, don't let it be a theoretical thing for you. This is a time of worship. The angels, I mean, how many times have you had a whole host of angels open up the sky in front of you? It's a big deal. That's why I say those, <laughs> I wish some things had been written in Scripture that we could see what, you know, a little deeper into the situation. I'd love to have been watching those shepherds when those angels showed up. Out there in the middle of a dark night, somebody probably pulled a knife, is my guess. We can't just buy into a cultural war that is really semantics. It's about the words that we use. What this world needs from us is not a better argument, not a louder argument. What the world needs from us is that we share our experience with a living God. What is your experience? What do you do with what you know? That's really the essence of the whole thing here. What if those shepherds had seen Jesus after the angels showed up and they said, yeah, that's a baby, and they turn around and walk out and never say anything about it? What about the wise men? If they had seen that star and they said, "Ah, yeah, you know, whatever, it's a new star. That's what our astronomers would say. We've discovered a new star. Well, this one travels. Enjoy that. What do you know about Christmas? How do you know it? Is it experience-based or is it just head knowledge? And then the question is, what do you do with it? Maybe we are losing this Christmas war because we've lost the worship 
of this and the experience of this. Christmas carol theology. If you want one to drive yours, try this one on. Said the night wind to the little lamb. What? Do you see what I see? Listen for the experiential in this. Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? A star, star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king. Do you know what I know? The child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. What do you know? How do you know it? Now let me change the last question for you. Who in your circle of people is desperate for the real meaning of Christmas? Who in your circle of people, friends, family, who if they died tomorrow would go off into eternity because they didn't get the message of Christmas? This is a big deal that God has left to us. What do you know? Let's pray.